Amen. You know, I, uh, uh, I've watched that video several times as we kind of get ready for this weekend, and it's amazing to me. It's so overwhelming, the amount of information that they packed into a couple minutes there. Uh, it's, it's overwhelming to me how something different kind of catches me every time. Uh, man, this morning I, I was watching it again, and just the, that one little clip in there where you see somebody reading a Braille Bible. Man, man, the gospel and God's word is needed in so many ways and in so many shapes and forms. And um, one, of the, one of the amazing things to me about being a part of Christ's community, you know, our vision is that we would be joining Jesus outside of this place, outside of ourselves, outside of the walls, that we would be going with Christ outside the gates. And um, one, of the, one of the amazing ways that we get to do it is by partnering with IMB, the International Mission Board. And, and so I wanted to share a little bit of what's happening because it's really easy for us to forget that we partner with some amazing places that, and some amazing people and organizations that are taking the gospel to places that we will never go ourselves, and they're doing it in ways that we may never be able to do ourselves. And, um, and I share that because that's why we give. That's why we give. That's why we sacrifice, to empower others to take the gospel where we can't go. And, um, and so this morning, um, you're going to have that opportunity. There's some cans in the back. And uh, if you want to give, know that part of our giving goes to support missions like this. It supports several local partners, supports the mission here, supports church planning that we're doing as a church. And I uh, just wanted to invite you into that opportunity. Another opportunity that I want to invite you into, uh, if you've got a cell phone this morning, a smartphone, you can get it out. And um, if you were here last week, congratulations, you're going to get the same spiel. But you'd be amazed. There's a lot of new people today, so we're going to do it again. So if you get your smartphone out, um, one of the cool things about this is you can now use this as a tool for the gospel. There's a little app on here called the Bible app. If you don't have it, I want to encourage you to find it. Uh, you can type in version or Bible in the store. And um, if you do that, you can go in there, and uh, I'm giving you permission to get your phone out and do this now, all right? But uh, you can actually go in there, um, create you a little account, and on the More tab, you can go to Events. And you will find, if you allow location services, Christ Community Church. And there you're going to have notes for today's sermon. Uh, there's lots of links. You can sign up for the class that Danielle was talking about. Um, all kinds of next steps and opportunities to take notes, share with someone else, read a Bible plan with us. There's a podcast that is related to today's sermon. All kinds of stuff in that. So I want to encourage you to get that out and find that now as we get started. Um, and then I want to give you an opportunity to do these two things, to give and to engage with the Bible app. And so I'm going to give you a question that's going to launch us into our sermon this morning, and I'm going to give you a chance to share that. Introverts everywhere, are, their skin is crawling. It's okay. I want you to go way back, all right, way back to elementary school. For some of you, I guess we got some elementary school who may be hanging out in here today. Um, I want you to think about, if you need to close your eyes to do this, I want you to visualize your elementary school playground. All right, that's a that's a long so I said that's a long time. I'm not asking how long, how old you are. I'm just you know just go back, try to remember that. Somebody no doubt is saying, well, no, listen, I I walked up to school to school both hill uphill both ways. We didn't have no playground. Recess wasn't a thing. So think about your playground. All right, what was your favorite thing to do at recess? Like, what was your favorite place to go? Your favorite piece of equipment? What was your favorite thing to do at recess, all right? 
So take a couple minutes. If you need to download the app and get that, if you, if you want to go give, do that. If you just want to share your favorite thing at recess, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to a minute. All right, ready, go. Not all at once now. Ready, go. All right, 20 seconds. Finish your story. Ten, nine, four, one, zero. Does that mess people up when I don't count in order? I don't know, it's weird. All right. Anybody got an incredible story? I didn't hear any, like, too loud of laughter, so I'm going to guess everything was fairly tame. Man, I go back, and I remember, right, my favorite thing at recess, and I, I, I'm a sports guy. I love to play sports, and I can remember our teacher would take us to the door, and we would be in line, and it was, I, maybe I'm the only one, but for us, it was like this dead sprint, like you start scoping out the guys around you, like, I'm going to get to the basketball court first right? Because in our playground, if you got to the basketball court first, what that meant was that you were the guy that got to pick the captains. You were the guy that got to kind of control what was going on at that 15-minute recess. Didn't 15 minutes seem like forever back then? I mean, it was great. And so you start, like, looking beside you, like, like, I'm going to win this race, right? And I can remember we would come to the door and the teacher would be like, shh, 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 keep your bubbles in your mouth, you know, all the things. And then they're like, go. Dead sprint to the basketball court. And uh, man, I, I love that. Racing out to the playground to try and, and be in control of the basketball court. And, you know, school teaches us a lot of things about life. But one of the things that I think, unfortunately, that it teaches us in that moment is, man, it's always a foot race to see who's going to be in charge that day. Doesn't life just feel that way sometimes? It feels like we're always in a foot race to be in control. We're always in a foot race to, to see who's going to be in charge. We're always just trying to stay one step ahead. Maybe for some of us, we're trying to stay one step ahead of our kids, which is difficult. <laughs> we're trying to stay one step ahead of maybe our ex, as we're talking about how we're trying to navigate this divorce. We're trying to stay one step ahead of our bills, of our calendar. We're trying to stay one step ahead of anybody that we perceive as a threat to our way of life. We're trying to stay one step ahead of ourselves at times. What, what happened? Like one day I was carelessly running out to the basketball court and the next day it feels like I'm just trying to, to keep my head above water. I'm just trying to stay one step ahead in this foot race to remain in control of life. This series, Eight Days a Week, we've been following Jesus through the city of Jerusalem in the week between Palm Sunday and his crucifixion. 
And what we're going to learn and what we are learning is, is that their world, not unlike ours, was broken and divided and messed up. And so as believers in Jesus and, and believing that he can change anything, we're hoping to discover how Jesus responded in the midst of his broken world and apply those principles to our lives and how we live in the middle of our divided and broken world. And so I want to invite you to, to read uh, the first part of our scripture with me today, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 27. We're going to read through the end of chapter 11 here, and then uh, we'll pick up 12 in just a little bit. Mark 11, 27. Last week, we, he came in, he flipped over some tables, he taught his disciples that forgiveness was really, really, really important. It was a great starting place. And now they're coming back again to Jerusalem. Verse 27, it says, They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and they asked him, him is Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Their questions are showing their hand. They're trying to stay one step. They're trying to remain in control. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. So they discussed it among themselves. They said, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why don't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, the Pharisees were in a race to maintain control and to maintain power over the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus was a threat to that. And so they ask him these hard questions. They're trying to stay a step ahead of their, they're trying to, to, you know, they're in that jostling. And Jesus was the guy that they felt certain that they needed to stay one step in front of. He was a power player and a threat to their way of life. This idea of power. It's challenged me this week as I've just thought through it and prayed through it and wrestled with it. And, and as I prepared, I found myself asking, why do we want this power anyway? Like, what is it about us as humans that drives us to win that race, to stay one step ahead? Why are we craving to, to be in control or to be in charge? And I came across a study. So in this study, they uh, went to a group of people and they offered uh, two different types of promotions to different people. To one group of people, they offered them a promotion in which they were going to gain influence over their peers, over the people that they worked with. They were going to get moved into a position where they could influence other people. But in doing that, they were going to lose um, some of their freedoms, some of their autonomy. They were going to have to do it the way that everyone else did it. There wasn't a pay raise. Their boss wasn't, you know, that wasn't a factor. It was just, you're going to have an opportunity to influence more people. The other promotion that they offered to people was kind of the opposite. Again, no pay raise. The boss is going to be fine. But in this case, you are going to gain the freedom, the autonomy to, to kind of work the way that you wanted to, to set your own goals. But in doing that, you were not going to have very much influence over other people. 
You know what was crazy? Of the people that they offered these different jobs to, 62% of people said, yeah, I'll take the promotion where I get more freedom. And only 26% of people said that they would take the promotion where they gained more influence. It's a shift in our thinking, right? We think that we want power so that we can lord it over people or be in, in charge of someone else. But what this study is actually showing is that the, the reason that we really desire power is because we want this personal freedom. We want the ability to choose for ourselves. The research shows that most people now want power, not for influence, but for freedom. We want power not so that we can lead or be in control of others, but so that we have a perceived freedom to do whatever we want. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. Because oftentimes what we see in the story of Scripture and in the stories that have come is that when personal freedom is unchecked, it often leads to painful isolation. Think about that. When our personal freedoms are unchecked, when, when we just do whatever we want, it often leads to painful isolation. This goes back to creation before sin had ever entered the world. You see, our sin nature, the, the brokenness inside of us, tells us that we want freedom, that we want to be able to do whatever we want. But all the way back in Genesis 2, God knew that this wasn't good for us, right? Genesis 2.18. You're probably familiar with the verse, even if this is your first time in church in a long time. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And he created Eve, right? It's not good for us to be alone, and yet we get so deceived oftentimes by this desire for freedom, for power, and in those things, those things that can be good, man, we end up in painful isolation. Before we know it, all this striving for power to be in control, to be in charge, and to be, to be more free in our own minds has led us to be separated and isolated from anyone and anything that can help us to be more like Christ. This all gets fleshed out in our world in some really ugly ways. Some really ugly ways. We begin to lash out when threats to our personal freedom become real. Right? It's easier to hurt the other person than to work harder on ourselves or to work with someone else. Politically, right, it's easier, more common to talk negatively about the other side of the aisle than think about how we can improve or change the political system, period. It's, it's just easier that way, right? You think, oh, politics, let's not talk about that. Okay, let's talk about marriages, relationships. In those, we find it easier to talk about our spouse with someone else than to talk to them about the problem right? I'd much rather vent, we call it, than to actually sit down and try and hash it out or work it out with one another. That's one side of the air, but, and, and oftentimes we do the other, and we avoid pinch points because those are a threat to our personal power as well, right? And so the things that, that might creep up and steal away from our freedom or cause us to think differently about things, we just avoid those. We struggle to talk about race because we operate off of cultural stereotypes instead of personal relationships. And those cultural stereotypes are often perceived as threats to our personal autonomy, and we don't want to find out if they're real or not. So we operate out of those stereotypes instead of out of real relationships and real conversations. 
We don't acknowledge the difficulty in loving across economic barriers. And that's a fancy way of saying it's hard for us to love people that make money in different amounts than we do. And we can either (laughs) accept that or deny it, but it's a real thing. We don't want to mingle with people whose lifestyles are different than ours because of varying degrees of wealth. It's hard. It's hard not to envy when you're with someone who has more. So we gather with those like us and avoid those who aren't, right? We avoid the pinch points. And so in our striving and and, and in, in our own minds, as we're pursuing this freedom that, you know, as the power that gives us freedom, we either avoid the pinch points or we lash out at those who aren't like us. And in all those ways, we're wrong and we're unlike Christ. Certainly, there has to be a better way, right? Certainly, God did not intend for the human beings created in his image to be fighting for survival in a dog eat dog world fighting for personal freedom, and yet finding themselves in painful isolation. That doesn't sound like God's plan to me. That doesn't sound like the plan of God's word. And in this moment here in Scripture, in Mark 11, Jesus wasn't going to get into that battle with the Pharisees either. So what did he say? How did he teach them? How did he move forward in a broken and divided culture? Read with me, if you would, in Mark 12. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. And then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. And then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, some they beat and others they killed. And he still had one to send, a beloved son. And finally he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. And they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. Christ has so much grace for us, and and I want to talk about that in a minute, but, but before we do, it's important that we talk about the truth of Christ. And the truth is that Christ's power will go away if you fail to give it away. We see that in this parable. Christ's power will go away if you fail to give it away. I go back to the playground, right? I didn't want to just get to the basketball court I wanted to get to the basketball court and stay in control of it. And I don't remember any specific stories, but I can remember this happening from time to time. You know how when you get into a basketball game and you've picked the teams and you've made all the rules and then you're still losing, it's really frustrating? So if you're in charge, what do you do? You make some new rules. Like, oh, nope, actually it's a three-second penalty. You know, like, our ball, (laughs) that was a foul. Right? Like whatever you have to do to maintain control, maintain power, maintain, and, and then what happens, right? One by one, dudes are like, listen, man, I'm not playing with you today. This isn't fun anymore. 
right? Or play board games with your toddlers. Same thing happens. You see, our pursuit for personal freedom, our pursuit to stay in power, often leads to painful isolation. Instead of having fun on the basketball court, I'm the only one standing there. And we see that happening in this parable, right? Jesus is like, hey, religious leaders, you're just trying, you're like, you're trying to get into a power struggle with me. Let me tell you a story, right? And he tells this story, and I, here's something to notice about the story, right? Like, where does everything come from in the first place? God. He gives them a vineyard. He gives this guy a vineyard. He gives him the wine press. He digs it out. He, he gives them like a perfect startup business and says, here you go. And then one step at a time, the greed, the hunger for power, the desire to be in charge begins to take them over until they get to a point so deep and so dark that they're willing to even kill the son of the man who gave them this. We see this play out in our lives. What do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment where you realize that you're painfully isolated, that you've been trying to do this by yourself, you've been trying to stay in control, and you have nothing left? Everything is, has, everyone has gone away from you. You're stuck in darkness. You don't know what to do. What do you do in that moment? The answer is not to kill the son. The answer is to realize that God gave you the power to start and change in the first place. You see, the good news of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, is that Christ knows that we're going to be on this stupid cycle of trying to maintain and gain our own freedom. And yet he continues to send people anyway. He continues to send people all the way down to his one and only son to rescue us from ourselves. You see, Christ empowers you with everything you need for life and godliness. And the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 reminds us of this incredible truth. It said, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. It doesn't say His divine power has given us just enough. His divine power has given us a little bit. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So if he has given us everything, we don't need to be so caught up in striving to gain our own freedom and our own power, but instead we should be looking to empower others with it. You see, we're given way more than we have ever deserved. And just like these guys in the vineyard, we may work really hard with what we're given. And yet we often fail, just like they did, to give away the fruits. That fruit that we keep for ourselves, it tastes sweet for a time, but one day we look up and we realize that we're painfully isolated. We're all by ourselves, and we think we're enjoying what we have, and yet we can't enjoy it because we're alone. Today, I want you to leave this place knowing that Christ has empowered you with everything you need for life and godliness. But I also want you to leave asking, how can I give someone the power to be someone different? Because you see, that's what God did for us. 
And that's what he calls us to. Give someone the power to be someone different. Empower someone. Quickly, I want to talk about really practical ways to think about empowerment in our daily lives. Number one, empower family relationally. Empower family relationally. A couple weeks ago, uh, last weekend, I guess, John Bennett came, did a parenting conference, and um, we attended. I'll be honest, like, we attended because we feel obligated to attend, and then, you know, the Lord teaches us through that, and I love when he does that. And one of the things that he reminded me of is that we empower our children as parents not by giving them praise, but by giving them encouragement, not by uh, giving them dangling carrots like, hey, if you do this, you get a prize, but by rewarding their inner drive and teaching them that they have everything that they need for life and godliness in Christ, not in us or not in a reward or a prize. Encouragement, not praise. How do we do that? What does that look like, right? Instead of just saying, hey, I'm so proud of you for scoring a goal. You ask them the question, man, how did you score that goal? And you watch as they explain and they learn for themselves and they teach themselves what it was that they had inside of them because of Christ to be able to do that. And you can apply that to so many other things. And in our marriages, how do we empower our family in our marriages? Husbands, empower your wives by listening without distraction. Without distraction, key. Wives, empower your husbands by telling him the ways that you respect him. There's a podcast in that app, in the Bible app that I sent you, and I, and I shared it on Facebook this week. Uh, it's, from the, it's called the M Between, because their last name is M. Um, Lee and Rachel are good friends with Daniel and his wife. They're awesome people from Nashville. They've done this podcast. This is seriously the best podcast that I've heard on practically fleshing out like how a couple moves forward when you're in the middle of conflict. Because they talk about this thing called the crazy cycle. It's okay to laugh because we've all been on the crazy cycle somewhere, right? So this crazy cycle happens because, you know, like, husbands, you don't mean to not love your wife, but she interprets it that way. And then when she feels not loved, she quits respecting you, right? And now you don't feel respected, so you're not going to love her. And, the, like, the crazy cycle is on. Around and around it goes. And they talk about how you break that and what that looks like practically. So good. So I'm just going to tell you, if you're married, go listen to that. If you're not... That's okay. You don't have to listen to it. Empower your families relationally. Give them the gift of time. Right? Grandparents, empower your children first by supporting their parenting efforts instead of undermining them. But secondly, give your grandchildren time, not gifts. I, uh, I have... <laughs> I have some great grandparents, um, and I, I'm also the oldest of four boys, four boys who all played sports, right? So that's a lot, a lot, that's a lot, it's a lot of football, a lot of basketball, a lot of tennis, a lot of soccer, a lot of you name it, and I, I, I can count on one hand the number of times that Grandma and Grandpa Lawyer were not at the game. Now, I can also tell you, like, well, I can't tell you, what, like, any specifically of the presents that I got. But I know that they were at my games. So much so that a couple years ago, we celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. And people came up to me, and they were like, man, your grandparents are awesome. I was like, yeah, they really are, aren't they? 
And you know, like, I was like, they, their response was, you know what I remember? They're like, I remember that anytime I was at one of your games, they were there. So cool that when they gave the gift of time, that became who they were, right? Like, that was how they empowered us as kids, was giving us their time. Empower your families relationally. That's so hard in today's busy and crazy world. Empower them relationally. Second, empower missions financially, right? We start talking about empowering people, like giving power to someone else to do something different, to be someone different. Money is going to come into the conversation, right? But when we do that with people, man, sometimes that can be, it can be dangerous. So how do, we, how do we figure this out? How do we empower missions financially? One is through like what you just saw at the beginning of the sermon. We give through something called the cooperative program where we empower missions that are vetted and, and all these things all the time. We also do it by continuing to trust and to give away more and more and more as we can to local mission efforts and partners and those things. And, you know, I think sometimes what we do is we run past how God has done that for us, right? So if you're new, like, you can just, like, turn your, like, your listening device off for a minute. You can listen. I don't care if you listen, but you can know that, like, this is really speaking to the family, right? Here at Governor's Square, we now have the opportunity to give as we have been given to. We now have the opportunity to give as we have been given to. In 2014, we moved into this space with zero rent. Conservative estimates are that we have saved a quarter of a million, more than a quarter of a million dollars by not paying rent over that time. You know what's also cool is that this year we crossed half a million dollars in giving to missions outside of this place. That only happens because of the generosity of someone else, because someone else empowered us to live and stay on mission. And now as we come up on five years in this building, we're going to start paying a little bit of rent, still like deeply discounted, but we're going to start paying some rent. And we can respond to that in an incredible way, right? We have an opportunity to establish a ministry that can help further missions beyond ourselves for a long time. We now have the opportunity to give as we have been given to. It's an incredible opportunity to empower missions financially. We're going to continue to give to local partners. We're going to continue to plant more churches just like we planted Midland. It's amazing to see what God is doing in that mission. But we also are going to have the opportunity to give as we have been given to here in this place. Empower family relationally, empower missions financially, and last, empower people spiritually, right? It's like, man, like, I only have so much time. Like, well, how, do I, how do I get here? <laughs> I'm just worried about my kids. And then, like, okay, I understand. Like, we can talk a little bit about money. Like, that's important. But then, like, how do I begin to invest in other people? Community group leaders, empower your group members by expecting them to bring something to group, right? Ask them the same question that we asked Danielle this morning. What's God teaching you? Expect them to share how God is interacting in their life and give them grace when they realize that they haven't done anything to further their relationship with them. Men of Christ's community, empower one another by pushing one another to, to get up, to get in the word, and to get out on mission together. There's a, there's a guys group at CCC meeting on Thursdays at 6.30. For some of you, it's just deciding to get up. There's a men's group that 
uh, called Man Challenge that meets at the brick room Wednesdays at 6.30. Just get up. Challenge one another to get there, to get out on mission together. Go do something together for somebody in your neighborhood. Women of Christ community, empower one another by calling those in isolation back into community. Right? Continue to gather together. Don't let people get out there by themselves. But mostly empower someone by giving them the gospel. How do I do that, right? Like, what does that even look like? How do I give someone the gospel? I mean, there's a million ways, to be quite honest with you, and it's a matter of just picking a way that works for you. For many of us, it's kind of built into our DNA because we do it every week to just share our story, to talk about what Christ has done to change our lives, how Christ has taken us and made us uh, something new instead of, and not allowed us to be something old, how he's taken our sin, forgiven it, and given us a new calling and a new life that is in line with the way he created us. Tell your story along those lines. For others, it's going to be more comfortable to share it from Scripture. You're walking through some key verses in the book of Romans or, or something like that. Um, and for many of us, man, it may just be bringing someone to church with you. Not simply inviting them, but saying, I want to bring you with me. I want you to come, sit with me. Let's get coffee the week after to talk about what God's doing in your life. But bring them to church with you and go on that journey with them. But here's what's so cool about empowering people spiritually. Every person, every person has a spiritual need. Isaiah 59 too, right? Every person has a spiritual need to figure out that gap that sin has created between them and God. This is the opportunity to empower people of all races, of all income levels, and of all political parties. Because when we come together around the spiritual need we have in Christ, and for Christ, we seek opportunities to work together rather than working for ourselves. And when we stand together in Christ, then we begin to recognize that the things that have divided us, the things that have separated us, are not as important as we might have thought. I want to speak to one objection and then close with one last illustration. Some of you are sitting there in your mind and you're like, I just don't have any more to give, Blake. Like life is full, life is busy. And to that, I just want to remind you of the truth that we saw in this passage. That God has given you everything required of you for life and godliness. He has empowered you with everything you need. You don't lose power when you empower other people because the power was never yours anyway. You are simply a conduit. And so when we feel tired, exhausted, alone, without, isolated, those moments are Christ calling us back to himself as the provider and empowerer of all things. He wants you to, to come back into the circle to be giving to others what he is giving to you. All right, this may be a little cheesy, but it's going to help you remember, all right? So just stick with Anytime I do this, just stick with me, all right? I need, I, need a, I need a helper from each section, all right? Come on. Who's over here? Everyone's like, oh, don't make eye contact. <laughs> TJ, vote. Joe. Look at this. Everyone's awkwardly avoid. Come on, Veronica. I love it. What's up, dude? 
All right. When we, as a group, all make the decision to give away the power that Christ has planted in our lives, the lights come on, right? The lights come on. That's when we shine the brightest as the church. All right. Can you do me a favor and touch that silver thing right there? Nothing's happening, right? It's not like jolting your hand. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Can you reach out and touch TJ? All right, TJ, can you reach out and touch Joe? Still nothing. All right. Can you, uh, yeah, go do that. Wait, let's, hold on, hold on, don't, don't, don't turn around so they can see this. All right, go. Oh, snap. Right? How annoying is that sound? Hey, can you let go of TJ's hand? Can you grab it again? Pretty crazy, right? Pretty crazy. You could take, well, you could take that home and show it to somebody cool and make awesome noises where Jeff and Lori are really annoyed. <laughs> hey, give it up for my volunteers. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Christ has given us all the power we need but that power was designed to run through us, not to end with us. And anytime we get that confused, right? Man, we go into this deep, dark hole. We start killing off anything that Christ sends our way to change our lives. We start denying that Christ wants to work or change or do anything in our lives. But we're meant to work together. The darkness of our day, the brokenness of our world, we have a need for the local church to shine bright for Christ. But we together are the local church. We can make the lights come on. And when we fail to give away the things entrusted to us, when we quit reaching out and touching the lives of the people who are close to us, right, the moment that we let go of those things, the lights go off. And somehow, right, Satan is so good at what he does, he's convinced us that it's about us. If I can just touch the energy stick, it'll be okay. But the reality is, is that when we quit giving away the power of Christ, we aren't just hurting ourselves. We aren't just limiting our potential. We're leaving everyone else in the dark, including ourselves. Christ has empowered us with everything we need for life and godliness. Step into the light. Step into the light. For some of you today, that means that you need a relationship with Christ, right? Maybe today you watched as Esther Van Zee stepped into that water and said, I've got a problem. Sin has kept me from the God of the universe who loves me and has a plan for me and created me in his image. And I need to do what she did. I need to give my life to him. Maybe you've already done that, and it just feels like, man, where is God? How come this isn't exciting anymore? What's going on? And to that, I would say, right, stay connected to one another. Step into the light. Don't allow 
the church or your relationship with Christ to be this singular journey where you're just trying to get what you need for you. But allow it to be something where the community of Christ called the church transforms your life. And then, as a result, the life of others. Give someone the power to be someone different. But do it because of what Christ has done in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that you show us in giving us everything that we need. But not only that, God, the grace to just keep chasing after us, to keep sending people to us, to check on us, even sending your own son. Father, we just confess that we are so selfish. We are so driven by self and power and freedom. And many times we allow that to run us into these deep, dark, isolated corners. Call us into the light, God. Call us into something more. Call us to something bigger than ourselves. Call us back to church. Not church, a building. Not church, an organization. But church, a group of people moving forward in their lives one step at a time with Christ. I pray in Jesus' name.